I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. With me uh, today is Rachel Banner. Uh, Rachel came to the fore in Wales a few years ago at the time of the second uh, devolution referendum uh, back in 2011 when there was a proposal to give the Assembly primary lawmaking powers. And Rachel um, was the main spokeswoman for an organisation called True Wales that was set up to oppose that proposal at the time. And uh, she, uh, I think, genuinely is regarded as having conducted herself very well, um, as having put forward an articulate case um, that obviously uh, the majority of people voted uh, for the uh, proposal and the Assembly now has lawmaking powers. Rachel, whereabouts were you brought up? Um, I was brought up in Pontypool, in a, a introvert in Pontypool, and um, I spent a lot of my childhood as well in a place called Six Bells, Abertillery, where my grandparents lived, and I suppose that's where a lot of my political uh, views have come from. So how would you define your political views? You were for uh, quite a few years a member of the Labour Party. Uh, what drew you towards the Labour Party? I think I was part of the old Labour tradition. I remember as a, as a very young child, we used to have political discussions around the, the uh, dinner table. Um, my grandfather was a baker um, and um, he'd also worked on the railways. So it was quite a working class background. Um, but um, it was um, it was very much interested in, in improving a lot of, of working people, I suppose, that, that political background that I grew up in. Um, so I suppose that's why I joined the Labour Party when I was when I was old enough at sixteen, and um, yes, basically that was my those were my formative years. What was your sense of Wales? Um, I think we as a family, my grandmother came from a Welsh-speaking family. Uh, she didn't speak Welsh as that well, the odd word I suppose. Um, she understood Welsh. And she used to listen to Welsh programmes sometimes. Uh, we used to watch uh, Shauna Sean on the uh, television. Um, but um, she was very anti-nationalist. She'd grown, she'd obviously lived through the war. Um, and she knew the damage that nationalism could do. Um, she, she obviously wasn't impressed with... with uh, what happened in Germany, Nazism, and so she was very suspicious of nationalism. She was very proud of her Welshness. She was born on March the 1st, and she was always proud of that and always had daffodils. In fact, an enduring memory of childhood is of seeing daffodils around me on March the 1st. Um, but she was she was also suspicious of, of um, an obsession with thinking that you're superior because of your nationality. And my grandfather was, his family was from the Forest of Dean. Uh, he was born in Wales. But I think South Wales was very much a melting pot of, of um, people from uh, England, Scotland, outside uh, Britain as well, who came for the work. And, and life was very hard. So the most important thing was for, for people to, to get on and, and survive. 
There is a paradox here, isn't there, Rachel? Because one could say that in Wales, when one is choosing uh, which perspective to have on politics uh, and which perspective to have on uh, Wales as a nation, there is a choice between two kinds of nationalism. You can be a Welsh nationalist or you can be a British nationalist because British nationalism has been extremely dominating in the world. Um, the imperial past that uh, was uh, uh, imposed on uh, a lot of countries all around the world was something that uh, many people would be uncomfortable with. And there are those people that I know who would say that uh, even if they weren't uh, born in Wales, they would feel some kind of affiliation to Wales because they thought that in a choice between some kind of um, approach to, to Wales as a nation, there was something which for them made them feel more comfortable than adherence to uh, British nationalism as manifested through the empire. So do you feel attracted to the British empire? No, absolutely not, no. Um, I've got no truck with, with oppressing any other country um, and I'm a lot of what, what we did, all of the British, uh, all of the countries in Britain... Uh, who were involved in, in it, um, a lot of it was, was just atrocious. And um, yes, I'm totally opposed to all that. But I, I don't think you have to choose between two nationalisms. I think you, you're not necessarily a nationalist because you're not, uh, you, you can choose to reject all nationalism, whether it be British nationalist or nationalism or Welsh nationalism. Um, you can choose to... Put your identity somewhere in the background and see the international community as more important than simply nationhood. It shouldn't just be about nationhood. But then we've got to start talking about the kind of political structures that are going to be in place. What is your perspective on whether Wales should have a national political structure? of its own, i.e. an assembly? Um, I think over these 20 years there's been an abject failure to deliver the basic basic aspects that um, the political class promised would be delivered in 1997. In a sense, uh, Rachel, that's a different question, isn't it? So what I'm asking you is, theoretically, do you think that Wales should have its own... Um, democratic national institution regardless of I would say not necessarily I would say not necessarily to that I think Wales is quite diverse as a country I think it was a mistake to abolish the old county councils I think um, we need more local control more local accountability we don't want over centralisation in Westminster Um, I'd like to see um, different areas of Wales being given more power to be different from other other areas which have different needs. Um, I don't think Wales is a homogenous place. I think there are different needs in, say, northwest Wales to northeast Wales. Um, and that's not to say that we don't all. We obviously we have a, a national link, but we do have different needs and we have different economies within our country. We've got an agricultural base and we've got a city and urban base. Um, I'd like there to be more industry 
Um, I think we have different traditions within Wales and um, those need to be recognised and I think only local devolution can deliver that. But there are many people for whom having a national democratic body is an absolute underpinning of the concept of Wales as a country, as a nation. But that isn't something that, that you feel strongly about. I've, n- I've always felt proudly Welsh. Whenever, whenever I've gone to it, all my English friends will know that I boast about being Welsh, even though it's arbitrary because we're, our birth is an accident. Um, I've, I've never had any trouble with that as an identity, but I don't see that it's necessarily tied to some political body, especially a political body that is failing, I think, currently, and has been over 20 years. Just staying for a moment with the theoretical perspective, if you like, um, in the early part of the 20th century, would you have been with those who argued that it was inappropriate for Ireland to have uh, an independent state of its own? I think I think I would have been in favour of choice, of letting people decide what they wanted, if they wanted to be part, um, if they wanted to be separate, then then that's their choice. The same with Catalonia, if the people of Catalonia feel that they want, because I think the Spanish government's made a lot of mistakes over this uh, the the recent uh, problems, and um, I think. People should have the choice. It should be a democratic decision. Okay, so let's go to 1997 when the referendum took place on the establishment of the Assembly. Were you around to vote for that at the time? I was around, yeah, and it's the only time in my life that I hadn't voted. At the time, I felt, because I was in the Labour Party and I was a loyal Labour Party member at that time, and I didn't want to vote with the Conservatives, but I had that niggling doubt about nationalism. And I, I do come from the Bevanite wing of the Labour Party, so all of those, all of those arguments that he made, um, it, with concern about what could happen, I had the same fears, and those fears didn't go away. Um, and I felt on the day, I, I actually struggled right until the end of voting. It was getting dark and I was thinking, what am I going to do? And, uh, and I, I just decided, well, I can't, I can't vote. So do you but wish, I regret it. Do you wish I you'd wish, voted no? I wish I'd voted no, yes. Why do you say that? Because I feel that what it's done, it's driven a wedge between us and the rest of the United Kingdom. I think devolution has divided us in a really destructive way, it's meant that instead of working together... So, for example, I remember when I was a teenager, and in fact when I went to university, a lot of my friends were from the north of England, and we had similar concerns. People from working-class backgrounds who'd come from industrial heartlands that had been destroyed or damaged, and we all had the same kind of anger all felt something needed to be done and we felt that there, that our problems were the same and that we were the same underneath. We may, might have had different accents but ultimately we had the same problems which needed to be addressed and I feel that devolution has got in the way of that relationship and I, I think now 
the national discourse is so different because um, English news is seen to be English news, Welsh news is seen to be Welsh news, and it's all being compartmentalised. And I think our problems are so similar that we need to be working together to solve these problems. The NHS, for example, I think things are worse in Wales than they are in England, but they've got horrendous problems. There was a story about cataract uh, operations the other day. Um, I think we need to be getting together to, to solve these problems, and I think they're so much money, I think, is wasted on duplication. Um, and I think if we put on, we've got quite a small talent pool in Wales. And I think if we shared our intellectual resources to find solutions, we would stand a better chance of finding a decent solution for the health service. Well, of course, there were those who argued in the run-up to the referendum, uh, the original referendum, let's forget about one in 1979, but the original mm. referendum that led to devolution in 1997, that things would actually get better uh, under devolution, it would be better if mm. we had control of our own public services. Yes. You think that that it hasn't, hasn't worked out? No, I think, well, our, our GVA per head is lower than it was at the beginning of, of devolution. And um, I was reading a, an article yesterday, in fact, um, it was published in August, um, that uh, surgical weights, weights for surgery, are up 400% since 2013. And yes, I accept there are, there are huge pressures on the health service, but the Assembly was set up to deal with education, health and, and economic development. Those were the three basic elements that um, a more local devolution meant to deal with. And they failed on all counts, and, but at the same time constantly demanding more powers. We've got a presiding officer who's is wanting the devolution of uh, criminal justice, and she's certainly not alone in that. Um, First Minister is, is expressing support for it. Y you know, you, you, you feel that if there's not going to be any consolidation of those very principles that it was set up to, to work on, then it's never going to work, is it? But are you muddling up <coughs> the... Um difference between the Assembly as an institution and the performance of the uh, successive governments, all of which have been Labour-led, that have Well, there's, there's only one party that hasn't had any power in Wales, well, if we discount UKIP, and that's the Conservative Party. So I think both uh, Plaid and the Liberal Democrats must share the blame uh, for... The, the successive failure uh, over these years. Well, the Liberal Democrats were in coalition for about two years. Um, Plaid was in coalition for four years. That Plaid coalition had a massive impact, though, on, on the direction of devolution with the One Wales Agreement. And not only that, but they've done deals with Labour ever since. And this whole idea, every now and again, they pull out and say, oh, yes, we're not doing deals with Labour, and then the next week they're doing another deal with Labour. So do you think things would have been any better if uh, you'd been successful in 2011 and the Assembly had not acquired Lord Primary Lawmaking I think the Assembly needed to um, it needed to be given a proverbial kick up the backside. It, I think there's an arrogance there 
the constant demanding more powers despite not achieving targets and actually having to change to move the goalposts, for example, with the ambulance targets, moving the goalposts so that things look better. Um, I think there needed to be a lot more humility there. And when you think about that vote, there were nearly 300,000 people who voted no. Wise heads at the assembly would have said, now hang on a minute, we haven't got the wholehearted, we haven't won hearts and minds yet. We haven't got the wholehearted support of the public. Fairly low turnout as well. Let's actually get down and do a decent job and start achieving something. Let's get some prosperity going. Let's let's sort out these even if even if it's just certain problems in the houses, let's target and get those aspects dealt with and forget about calling for more powers for now. Instead of which they set up yet another commission for more AMs. Silk Commission, uh, calling for tax powers, um, criminal justice. It, it just, they just didn't take stock. And they're not going to, are they? Well, I mean, one thing that strikes me that is very odd about the arguments that you put forward, uh, Rachel, and, uh, and others who would agree with you, it is that in nowhere else in the world would you have people who were arguing that the legislature that was representing them should have powers taken away from it, uh, or that it shouldn't be allowed to have But we have, a legislature. I mean, we have a legislature. Well, in Westminster. So, so, so you would contrast the dreadful performance of the um, Welsh legislature with the wonderful performance <laughs> at Westminster. <laughs> no, I you? wouldn't. I don't think it's perfect. I regret the fact. It's symbolic, isn't it? We have different governments, don't we, in Westminster. We have, first of all, we have a, a Conservative government, then we have a Labour government. And we've always had this shifting back and forth, which is healthy. I think the pendulum swinging from Labour to Conservative is healthy. And, and um, it means that we, we get some kind of balance and it stops us swinging to extremes, I think. Well, I hope. There are those who would say that the current UK government is quite extreme. Um, well, I, I wouldn't agree that it's extreme. I, I think it's. I think things are messy at the moment. Isn't it attacking the poor through universal um, credit? I wouldn't go so far as to say it's attacking. It's attacking certain people. I think. I think um, there are elements that are too draconian. Yes, that I wouldn't go along with. But I'd also say that. If people vote in a certain way, then a government has to go in a certain direction. But what what I would say is, but, but, they, but they didn't get a majority. They're relying on um, the DUP to. Well, I'm I'm not here to, to defend the Conservatives. I'm, I'm the reason why, of course, I put these questions to you, Rachel, is because you're um, a, a big critic of the the Welsh Assembly as an institution. Mm. Um, but your um, your criticism Westminster as well. Yeah, but, you but you don't say that Westminster should should be exist. abolished. No, I don't because I think there are a lot of things worth saving with Westminster. I think there needs to be reform there too. I think the House of Lords is frankly uh, disgraceful. The way the way uh, we still have this grace and favour system where political parties can nominate people um, to become lords. And where you can turn up for three hundred pounds a day and sign in for it and swan off for lunch or whatever, I think seriously needs reform. There certainly, 
but I think there are a lot of good things about Westminster. Westminster has 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 led in in many important things like uh, women's suffrage, for example. Um, it took long enough. It took a long time, um, but Westminster did introduce it before many other countries. There's a pretty small proportion of women MPs. Uh, the higher yeah, proportion there, of uh, there, there are. I would well. That seems to be going down, though, doesn't so it? But that's a minor. That's a minor element, isn't it? So I, I would not say that. I, I would say that Westminster. Um, uh, so many of the laws that have been made in Westminster uh, are important to all of us, and they still make the majority of our laws. And I'd like to see Welsh MPs having more power, like they used to, because I think they've been sidelined yeah. since. But the isn't this the point, though, uh, Rachel, that the um, Welsh MPs would never have a decisive degree of power because they're just too few of them? I mean, there's. There's 40 at the moment. There's a proposal uh, to reduce them to 29. Now, what kind of impact can Welsh MPs have? Well, I, I'm, I'm opposed to reduce, even though I, I get very frustrated um, with with some of our MPs, um, I am opposed to, to reducing the number of Welsh MPs because I think that would, again, reduce our influence. But a lot of nationalists want the number of MPs to be reduced so that we have less power at Westminster so that they can argue that we have less power there. And I would say that because we are a small country, being part of the UK, well, the UK is too in in the global market. Still the sixth biggest economy. We're still a big economy, but we have to to work hard to keep that position. It's constantly under threat. Um, But I, I think weakening... Weakening our position in the UK is not helping. It certainly hasn't helped Wales over these last 20 years. And the other thing about constantly demanding more powers is uh, only recently um, the Welsh Government um, wanted to delay on energy powers. So it's acknowledging in itself that it can't cope with the powers it's got. So why continually demand more? And, And that's got lost with the media as well, hasn't it? It's been almost, it's almost disappeared. You know, there's been hardly any media coverage of it. While um, I think devolution has been damaged also by what's been going on um, over the tragic events surrounding Carl Sargent. We've got a government here that's really in stasis. And um, it's, it's in a, I think devolution is in a very difficult position now. It's been handled very badly. Well, I mean, in a sense, that's another story. And again, that is really about the performance of a particular administration but rather than the But also about the media, itself. I would say, that in Wales, no, no offence to you because I know you do, you scrutinise what's going on, but there is, there's just simply not enough coverage, television coverage, of the, the minutiae of what's happening in the Bay. There is a lack of accountability because of the lack of press scrutiny I think, of what, and I don't think anybody quite knows how to handle this current crisis. And I suppose it's it's still a fairly new institution. But how 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 can that? Well, do you, I mean, you must have ideas about how the press could handle. Well, the, diffi- the difficulty is, is, I mean, that's a whole other uh, debate, really. But um, it's certainly the case that uh, um, the um, media uh, companies. 
to a considerable extent as a consequence of um, uh, failure of the market um, are having to make do with less and less journalists to... Uh, but since to, to, devolution, uh, you know, if you look at the BBC and how many journalists there are there now, and how many there were before devolution, and yet we're not getting that... I don't want to offend anyone, but we, we are missing that in-depth analysis. I don't think, think anyone's known quite how to deal with what's going on in the Bay at the moment. Well, I mean, I think that uh, there are still quite a lot of BBC journalists around, and uh, I think they probably do as uh, do their they do their best to scrutinise. There is quite a bit of um, scrutiny that goes on. It's just that, unfortunately, perhaps a lot of people, a lot of members of the public, uh, have got other interests that they don't get as involved as uh, uh, as people like you and me. Mm. looking at what's going on. That is a problem for society in Wales, isn't it? But we need to engage more people as things go on. It is, and and the fact that people don't know what's devolved and what isn't devolved. There was a poll recently about it, wasn't there? And people... But I think, again, that's another failure of, of devolution in the sense that people are not really... They haven't embraced it as an institution. And I think if... If assembly members had done had delivered what they promised to do at the beginning i think people would know what they do by now i i, I think that it's more to do with that than the media well, I, I i think one of the difficulties is that the uk still remains a very uh, centralized economy because a huge proportion of our economy is based in the city of london uh now that, of course, is at risk as a consequence of Brexit. So it's possible that after Brexit there will be the need to reevaluate things because the likelihood is, I don't know if you agree with this, but the likelihood is that um, the UK's economy and the Welsh economy, which has relied very heavily actually on exports, mm. more so uh, physical exports, more so than uh, is the case uh, in, in England because... Um, uh, I think 80, 80% of the UK economy is now based on service industry but in Wales there's still a higher uh, proportion than in England of, um, of goods being exported but if we have a situation where after Brexit uh, there are uh, there's more difficulty in exporting goods as looks as if it may very well be the case with a potentially hard Brexit the whole uh, of the UK is going to be uh, hit very badly and that will force people to perhaps think more politically than they have in the past. You're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. What's your view on Brexit then, Rachel? I think a lot of people voted for Brexit because they're uh, disillusioned with with, politi- with political class and they feel that they've been left out. They can't. A lot of people can't get on the uh, housing ladder. Um, jobs are so um, very often temporary. There's very little stability, and I think people feel that the political class have done very well out of political institutions. The expenses scandal, if we want to criticise Westminster, um, I think it, it is, is an, a root of one root of, of the Brexit 
um, situation, I think, the Brexit vote. Um, I think a disillusioned public wanting to give the political class a bloody nose. But it was also rather ironic, wasn't it, that the people who were leading the uh, Brexit campaign were people who were effectively from an elite, but they were posing as representatives of uh, ordinary people, when in fact they themselves, uh, it's been demonstrated, have a lot of their own money overseas. Uh, I, th- I think that I remember from my days in the Labour Party, um, I remember going to Tribune meetings and, you know, that sort of, those sorts of uh, events. And there was a very Eurosceptic atmosphere. In the, I think there are a lot of people who are working class who have never really, again, accepted the EU as an institution. And I remember my own parents voted, um, they voted against joining the common market. I mean, I personally, I think the common market was a good thing. But what I did object to was the fact that powers, again, were accumulated without going back to the people. So uh, people of, of my parents' generation say, would say, well, we weren't asked. So you've got this Lisbon Treaty now. We weren't asked whether we supported this. We weren't asked whether we supported federalisation or an EU army, or um, we wanted whether we wanted most of our laws to be made in Brussels. Or so I think a lot of people um, got wound up by that as well. I think there were genuine um, political reasons. There was also. There were also less attractive ones surrounding um, immigration. But I think the way people have been dismissed over Brexit and, and looked down on really a middle class which has sneered at people who thought have thought things through, um, and I think the sneering hasn't helped. I think it's Again, it's a time for those who have power to ask questions and say, well, what have we done wrong? Why has this happened? And, and they're not, and, and in the EU, they're not either, are they? Well, I read a book by Dennis McShane, a former Europe minister, mm-hmm. uh, which was called Brexit. And this was before the actual vote took place, in which he was predicting that it effectively would mm-hmm. take place, yeah. because uh, for many years sections of the um, uh, British press have persistently denigrated the EU uh, with uh, uh, what is now termed fake news about bent bananas. A lot of these stories actually were started, weren't they, by Boris Johnson when he was a journalist uh, working working for the Telegraph and the Times um, quite a few years ago now. But if you have people who are being constantly bombarded with negative stories about the EU, it's no surprise that in due course, when there is a referendum, people will vote against it. And it may well be that that's an element, but I think it's a European-wide uh, problem. Um, so having lived in Italy myself, I think the southern economies have really suffered from the introduction of the euro. A lot of the people, because I worked with a lot of business people, I was teaching English in businesses, and um, I think there was a lot of opposition after it had been introduced because they felt all the prices had gone up, um, the prices had been rounded up, but wages had been rounded down. So that was how people felt about it. And I know that um, 
factories have really struggled to to keep going and so um, Greece as well we had the deposition of the finance minister in Greece over uh, and also the removal of Berlusconi not that I'm a fan of Berlusconi um, but um, I think the EU has been intervening too much in the political affairs of the nation state. Perhaps they haven't been intervening enough in uh, Catalonia. Well, in Catalonia, I mean, really, they should have they should have condemned the way the Spanish government dealt with that that crisis, um, and um, there should have been they should have actually just suggested a referendum, democratic referendum with independent observers, not because I think the observers of the actual referendum were not independent. I think they um, they had uh, flying nationalists from different parts of, uh, of Europe supervising. I think the EU could have played a role there in saying, look, this is not good enough um, and there needs to be another referendum. Uh, but yeah, they didn't take that opportunity, did they? So I think... The EU, if it is to survive, it needs massive reform and it needs, I think, to be pared down um, and made democratic so that if the wrong people do come to power, there are enough democratic checks in place to to stop a dangerous situation. But I think with, with austerity, that's where you get extremist governments coming to power and we can see in Poland and Austria... Uh, that that's that's the danger, isn't it? Very dangerous. What do you think lies in store for Wales post Brexit? Well, I'd like to see because I I think it, if it is going to happen and it looks as if it is, I hope that there will be a chance to build up industry again in some way and um, to get around because we won't have to observe some of the rules that have stopped nationalisation those kinds of political. Uh, action which can help. Do you think Theresa May is going to be nationalising? Well, you know, I think I don't think she is, but there will be other governments in the future who may think nationalisation is the way forward for this or that, depending on. So, uh, for example, um, energy, for example, or railway nationalisation. I'm not saying that. I think it should happen, but I'm saying it should be looked into as a means of getting the economy, of moving the economy in a certain way and improving public services, giving people a proper wage base so that they can spend in the economy. Do you think there should be another referendum on scrapping the Assembly? Yes, I do. I think there should. Um, I think we should be asking serious questions about, about what it's delivered for Wales um, and I think it, it would put politicians on their toes in a way that they're not. I think they, I don't know what's behind, whether it's a lethargy or whether it's arrogance, I don't know. But um, I think they need to start working out what has to be done to sort out the health service above all. So you think that the English could run the Welsh health service better? No, I don't think the English could, but I think a, a British, um, an umbrella under a, um, a shared or a shared umbrella, then where we have experts who who know what needs to be done in the health service, who 
so health economists uh, and doctors share all our resources so that we can um, focus on the areas that really need to be improved. But isn't it the case, uh, Rachel, that it's not the question of who is running the health service that is most at um, issue here. It is more the fact that we have got people living longer uh, with greater expectations about the kind of treatment that they want, uh, all of which is extremely expensive. And we've now got a situation where um, before long, uh, if uh, current trends continue, the health service will uh, take up more than 50% of the Welsh Government's budget and be growing all the time. And that means that there would have to be cuts made uh, in other areas, in education, for example, and in economic development and, and the other things that, we, um, that the Welsh Government is responsible for. So it's not really a matter of whether the NHS is run from Cardiff or from Westminster. It's that these inbuilt demographic problems are causing huge challenges for whoever's running it. Isn't that the case? I think it is the case that it's a problem across the UK. The health service is in crisis, I think, across the UK. And, and we all know people who have been uh, waiting for, for hip operations. But, but those waits are longer in Wales than they are in, in, in England. A lot of them are waiting times are worse than in England. And I think we need to look at why that is, because it should be easier to manage being a smaller country, shouldn't it? But it isn't. And things like moving across the border for treatment, you should be able to do that. You shouldn't have to have your treatment in Wales. You should be able to go to X. I know you, you can to a degree, but a good friend of mine, um, Annie Mulholland, who really sadly passed away last year after her, an heroic struggle for cancer rights for, for cancer drug rights and um, it's just been made so much harder I think by devolution and but I think it's this it's not so much because of devolution it's because of attitudes of well we do things differently in Wales we don't have to do things there are certain things we can relax on a little bit and do things the same as in England it doesn't always have to be different but there are those, of course, who argue that one of the problems uh, facing a health service is there are an awful lot of people uh, who retire to Wales from England. And, of course, when they retire from Wales to England... Sorry, when they retire from England to Wales... When they retire from England to Wales... When they retire well, um, I don't know about that. I think that there is certainly um, evidence that shows that a lot of people who retire from England come to Wales... And that places an extra burden on the NHS because obviously the likelihood is that once they retire, but if we're all paying the into the system. same NHS fund, then we should be a, then you should be able to get treatment wherever you are in the UK, shouldn't you? Well, people yeah. are in terms of treatment, but that's an explanation perhaps for the reason for some of these waiting yeah. lists. Demographically, there are more people coming over here who are adding to the burden of the, uh, the I think that, that has to be a tiny element of it, hasn't it? I know there are problems on the border because or, um, there was a, a campaign recently because certain people living in Gloucestershire, um, they were being treated under the Welsh NHS and had the absurd situation where they couldn't vote 
on who represented them. And, and so English MPs have no say on the Welsh NHS. They were unhappy because they had to go via Welsh waiting times, but they couldn't be represented because their MP was an English MP. So you've got these cross-border anomalies as well, all things that never used to exist. I mean, Nybevan would be turning in his grave at, that, at something like that, wouldn't he? But uh, your prescription would be to abolish the assembly and allow everything to be. I, I just run think by it, it needs to show that it's actually doing something that's worthwhile. What, what is it? If surgical weights are up 400% since 2013, what is the assembly doing to show that it's looking at. What, what is the Welsh government doing? Okay, what's the Welsh government doing um, to show that it is actually changing things for us? And if the Assembly itself is not able to change any of that, if we just have a one-party state, or a one-party state bolstered by willing uh, participants like Plaid Cymru, and, and, well, not many Lib Dems left now, are there? But um, then how, how is But you're again, if, if I may say so, Rachel, you're again falling into the trap mistaking the institution for the administration and mixing them up. It's it's, not really because it's talking about the devolution record. It's talking about how how much has been delivered by devolution. We talk about the devolution dividend, which is which is what um, Professor Kevin Morgan um, talked about, and he he raised concerns about. I remember at the time of the last referendum about that lack of a devolution dividend. And all, I, all we were asking for at that time, because we weren't arguing for abolition, um, was that, the, that they improve their record and, and look to consolidate the powers they already had and improve performance in those areas. And they didn't do it. They just went on asking after the, they took the referendum results, the green light, to ask for more powers and not to do the things that they were supposed to be doing. And that's not just the Welsh government, that is the, pretty much the whole... And look at, look at the way UKIP has, has uh, behaved since going in. They've just, you know, joined in. Just got, got very cosy. The, well, the irony, the irony is that the devolution of income tax proposal yeah. uh, was actually put through by the Conservatives. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yes, I was. Why were they? Why did they do that when they knew that it would threaten our position with block grants? Well, there's a, there's been a, um, an agreement reached, hasn't there, on that which the Welsh government, under the finance minister Mark Rakeford, says is a fair settlement. And then you've got these the preposterous situation where they're planning a tax on. And no, no, this is a Welsh government issue, but planning a tax on alcohol when. All we need to do is drive over the border and get our alcohol in Hereford or whatever and drive it back. I mean, it's, it's punishment taxes, isn't it? Well, it's such arguments could be used uh, for people living on the border between France and Belgium or Spain and Portugal, couldn't they? But you've got, you know, if this, you accept... This is the UK, we're in the same country. Well, this is, this is, well we're not in the same country. It's a, it's a, a, a number of different countries in a the union that isn't that old historically. In fact, and the the, the, the current it's, it's arrangement is less than it's less than hundred years. The current arrangements are less than hundred years old. The whole idea, and this brings us back to the this ludicrous idea that we've been colonised, 
that the Tudors were written for however many at the time of the Act of Union as well, didn't they? So it's uh, well, the time of the Act of Union, yes, going back to the uh, 16th century. Well, they didn't have any um, sway in Scotland at that time. No, but Scotland joined a bit bit later on, didn't it? Because it needed to economically, it needed to to join the UK, but. We were well, we, we, we had a, a Welsh, Welsh monarchy running uh, the UK. So the very idea that that um, I just think we've got such a simplistic view of history. I think it's difficult to now. describe Henry VIII as a Welsh nationalist, isn't it? <laughs> well, yes, but why why do why do you have to be a Welsh nationalist if you're Welsh? You don't have to be a Welsh nationalist if you're Welsh, um, but. It may be regarded uh, in some quarters as perverse if you don't take the view that a country should be able to run itself. But and there are we those do who run aren't. ourselves. Well, we're, we're we, in we the do. UK. Well, we do run ourselves. We would say, or there are those we, who would we've say... We've chosen that, to weaken our MPs. We have chosen to weaken their influence at Westminster. And whereas the UK is powerful on a world level... Wales is not powerful on the world. So we're actually weakening. We're cutting off our noses to spite our own faces. By doing what? By cutting ourselves off from, from the UK. But we're not cutting ourselves off from the UK. We're still part of the UK. With the constant movement towards more powers, uh, separating from the UK and, and adopting this, this, this nationalist dogma that seems to penetrate... Uh, all the elements of the upper echelons of Welsh society. Um, Do you think we're, Colin we're Jones actually, is a nationalist? Yes. He's a Welsh nationalist? I, I, I think he's a soft nationalist, yes. And the other Assembly members, the, the Labour Assembly members, are they Welsh nationalists? Uh, I, I don't th- I think the ideology is soft nationalist. I don't think they call themselves Welsh nationalists. I'm not sure either because I don't know them. I don't know most of them. But I would say that the ideology... Is soft nationalist ideology, and John Osmond uh, actually said this at a conference I went to after the referendum. I think you might have been there, Martin, were you there? And he actually said, I'm not sure when the Welsh Labour Party transmogrified into a, into a soft nationalist party, and, and that was exactly, it's very interesting, sometimes, sometimes nationalists say things that I think Yes, she's dead right, and, and I, I agree with that, because that's why I felt that I was then outside the Labour Party that I'd grown up in. You won't find many in Welsh Labour who would argue in favour of an independent Wales, though. No, you? you wouldn't, no. So the kind of nationalism that you're talking about in uh, Welsh Labour is different to the kind of nationalism that you get in Plaid Cymru? Yes, I think, it, I mean, it is a soft nationalism, it's not that hard nationalism that you get in... And in, in some ways, you know where you stand with Plaid Cymru because you know that they want separation from the UK. Whereas I think with Welsh Labour, with the nationalist ideology that is, exists, there is still a little bit of that old uh, unionist ideology still there in Labour that hasn't gone. But Carmen Jones, for example, but, is always very clear, isn't he, that uh, he's proud to be Welsh and he's proud to be British and that... Um, yeah, we, we are part of um, a union. But he has threatened at times, hasn't he? He's, he's said at times, "Oh well, it's it's uh, if they want to keep the UK together, they'll have to listen to me." There's that kind of tone very often, isn't there? 
that he's used. Well, I think what he's doing is he's trying to get uh, the ear of Theresa May. Yeah, it doesn't really work, though, does it? I think there are more delicate ways of doing it. I think um, it's become a, an easy aspirin to grab hold of, you know, um, well, we're standing up for Wales. Where's that aspirin? We're standing up for Wales. And actually, if you want to stand up for Wales, sort out the health service, sort out education, or just those three basic things that you were asked to do in 1997. But don't you need decent funding for that? And decent funding. They, they had decent funding come. over the Blair years, didn't they? They, they had money coming yeah. out of their years during that time. And what happened to it? And so much of it gets swallowed up in political institutions. And it needed to be spent on services. You look at AM pay, 17.7% pay rise. How much could that, how many machines could that buy in hospitals? And um, I, I, I just think. We, if we want to do things differently, we could invest in those public services. We, we, could, we could make things better so that waiting lists aren't so long. We're always going to have waiting lists. But we, you know, invest in those things. Don't keep thinking about how we can improve the political situation by increasing the number of politicians. It, it's on, on high wages. It's become elitist. It's become... A new ruling class, and we really need we needed in Wales something a bit more, a bit closer to our roots, a bit more socialistic, actually. So, how would that have functioned then? I think um, we called it true devolution at the time of the of the referendum. We got some some ideas together on how how you could use local um, look instead of having. Instead of investing heavily in your political institution in Cardiff Bay, which is just becoming a mini Westminster, a place of privilege, to to funnel the money into a more local scenario, make sure that you uh, fund the hospitals properly. But I think if you look at the proportion of the Welsh Government and indeed the Assembly's budget that is spent on the institution itself, it's actually tiny. It's a lot I mean, more than Ron Davis said it was going to be in 1997. What was that? I can't even remember the figure now, but he... he that was for, in terms yeah. of building the uh, assembly yeah, building. Yeah, it, it was something like 46. But the increase in the number yeah. of AMs would uh, take uh, an additional 0.08%, which is infinitesimally small. AMs, AMs earn uh, three times the median wage in Wales. And they want another 30 of them. Um, it sends out a terrible signal to the people, I think. And I don't know, if you're on a salary like that, how you can know how real people live. I've no idea. But the same, the same, could, be said, but Rachel, surely the, the same could be said about members of any yes, democratic legislature yeah. anywhere. Weren't we supposed that? to be doing something a bit different here? Well, so you're, are you suggesting that uh, you should be paying people the median wage? To be AMs? To be AMs. Why not? Well, I mean, there are people there now I mean, Jeff, um, who have had <coughs> to take a pay cut to go there, aren't there? Jeff Jones, um, he suggested that um, that the pay be performance-related. If everybody else has to live according to performance-related pay, well... 
Well, not sense. everybody does do that, but uh, who would who would judge who would judge well, it? Well, you don't think you could ask that anyway, couldn't you? Certainly, there are some who would not get paid a penny. I'm not in favour of performance-related pay, actually, but I do think three times the median wage. If you're saying, "Oh, we're different here. We're doing things differently," and we're with the people, and you're on that kind of money. You, you can't have a clue what, what people are, are going through. Uh, I have to say I get far more exercised about uh, people uh, in the private sector at the very top who get paid outrageous amounts of money. But you're not, when you're thinking about that, and it, it bothers me too, when you're thinking about the public sector, there's a limited public purse, isn't there? So to me, it makes sense for those at the top to get less and for the money to be going into public services, which, I mean, the, the, the shortage, short shortages, times of austerity, you do not give yourselves uh, that kind of pay rise. I mean, I think that uh, there's, a, there's a very good case to be made for that, but I wouldn't say that their pay should be reduced to a third of what it is now. I mean, I think that would be ludicrous. Well, I'm not, su- I'm not sure it would. I mean, Thomas More suggested, didn't he, that, uh, that you'd actually attract perhaps a different kind of person to the role if you paid a lower a lower wage if you, or if you paid nothing you'd, you'd have people who were genuinely well we could go, we could go back to the days of the 18th century when you had MPs who weren't paid anything and uh, they fitted yeah. in their and parliamentary the, duties course, between the reason, hunting and yeah. uh, and the reason the why interests. because you needed to have we needed to have uh, MPs from ordinary backgrounds who could who could do those jobs and you had so there had to be a wage but it has got out of hand it's got out of hand in Westminster as well I think politicians pay so it's not a, de- a matter relating to devolution then um, it is a matter relating to devolution because they promised they would do things differently and I don't they think they promised to uh, pay themselves they didn't promise to uh, to pay themselves less did they but they did say they did promise they would do things differently and now We've got more higher pay and and another an extra thirty uh, AMs probably to fund some time in the future. So, what's your outlook for Wales now? Um, it's it's difficult to know really how things will go. I think the Brexit vote means that people have got a more sceptical view. It shows that they've got a more sceptical view of of the political class. So, the political class needs to up its game. It needs to start listening. If it wants to survive in its current form, it needs to actually start performing so that people feel that their lives are being made different, and that their lives are being improved. And if they weren't performing, then what would happen? Um, I think in Wales, I think um, questions will, will be raised. They're already being raised about whether the Assembly is actually delivering for Wales. People have been making such points since the assembly was set up, but it hasn't stopped them. I, I, think, I, think the, I think it's getting louder. They need to start delivering. Rachel Banner, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you.